Welcome back to our Change Cultivators listeners. Today we have a very, very interesting topic that is very close to my heart personally, as well as our guest who I'm going to introduce to you in a minute. Um, and that is really looking at how over the past few decades, our world has changed exponentially with groundbreaking uh, innovation across so many industries, but yet the one sector that has not kept pace is that of education. Um, and if you look at the corporate sector and industry, the traditional curriculum models in, in school and higher education are not actually preparing kids to go into the workplace and be successful. Um, and this is obviously a big concern with regards to sustainability of corporate business models and brands. And so today I have a great guest with me that we're going to be discussing uh, the, the topic of a new caliber of leader and how everyone in the in the industry is accountable for this particular challenge we find ourselves facing. So we're going to be discussing how the private sector and the education sector can mature and grow in line with digital progress. So without further ado, our guest today is John Farrar. He is the Industry Director of Education at Google. And John is also a trusted partner and advisor to some of the top education institutions and leaders looking at how to transform their digital footprint. So welcome, John. Very excited to have you with us today. Thank you so much, Ross. It's great to be with you. So to give you a little bit of John's background, John um, was raised by two private school teachers. Um, so he has a very deep knowledge of the education space from, from birth right up to where he is now. He's had a very colorful background, which he'll, he'll uh, chat to you on in a minute, um, and is now with Google. So very, very deep passion in looking at education and how digital transforms the space and how we set it up for, for the future. John's been featured in Forbes. He's been in the Carnegie, Carnegie Conference. Um, and he is an advisor to a number of industry leading people from corporate CEOs, sports leaders, you name it. Uh, so John, why don't you give us a little bit of uh, background on, on your journey um, to your role here at Google, how you got there and, and why you're so passionate about the space of, of education? Well, number one, I'd be remiss. My parents, if they ever listened to this, would make sure they were like, no, we were public school teachers. So. Oh, public school, did I say private? <laughs> So I want to make sure we clarify that. Uh, yeah, no, both my parents uh, started their career in, in public schools and really finished there. My father turned uh, professor the last 15 years of his career at a public university in Michigan, just retired at the age of 76 uh, last summer. So, yeah, um, Rosin, born into uh, the education space, um, started my career in packaged goods and got into sales. Uh, never really thought I'd be. Um, in education post sort of graduation, but uh, kind of found my way back here. And I'm thrilled. I've always been a, um, a fan of higher ed, both on the education side and also just what it means to us culturally in the United States. And I think it's a very unique time to be in the space, uh, given all the change that's happened in the last couple of years. And therefore the opportunity, I think, to improve the landscape for students uh, via our universities and via the tech community um, and via employers that maybe that conversation wasn't happening, uh, certainly to the frequency and depth that, that it is now. And so it's really, really fun for me, given my background and, and passions to, to be here today. Yeah. 
And I think, so. you know, the big thing you and I have discussed is the last two years have been so instrumental in this change. So, you know, education has been around for a long time, but why has it become such a critical conversation? Um, what, what, in your view, has been the biggest changes in the last two years that's now bringing us to this conversation that is this sector really needs to be looked at in a different way? Yeah, I would tell you it's just the conversation, right? I would tell you that um, previous to the pandemic, there there certainly was active dialogue, but um, you know, if we're honest about it, the the business model of higher education was not really disrupted for a long, long time, and therefore, I don't think, uh, as my as my father often likes to say, uh, he's a psychologist by background, right? And he will often say. Uh, I remember as a kid at the dinner table, people don't change in the midst of a comfortable situation, mm. right? And what the last two years has brought is a lot of discomfort um, for all of education, but where we focus a lot of our attention uh, with our team is, is in higher ed. And that has been very, very uncomfortable. And as a result, when we get uncomfortable, we start looking for partnerships and solutions and active dialogue on how to, how to improve. Um, and I think that's been the most fun for us um, at Google. Uh, there are thousands of Googlers working on different corners of the education space that I think now we are able to bring into that discussion to talk about how do we improve the product of education uh, via some of those tech tools and enable the providers of, of higher ed um, to do that in a way that I think mirrors what student demand is now um, in light of what they had to endure through the pandemic and also kind of what they're now accustomed to. So I would tell you the biggest change is the willingness to have the conversation at all levels, right? And that we are increasingly um, having discussions with boards, uh, board of trustees, presidents, chancellors, provosts. I can't tell you that that was really happening uh, 36 months ago. And so um, what that is now creating is some empathy on both sides and some understanding on both sides as to how we can work together to, to improve, again, on the behalf of students. Yeah, and one of the things, you know, you said to me was two years ago, your sales team were predominantly talking to the marketing department, right? But now you're talking to new stakeholders. So, you know, we obviously know that the pandemic has brought in challenges for students, i.e. isolation, boredom, lack of interactivity, um, but what are you seeing on the corporate side? So now the conversation's shifted from the marketing department to these influencers, the CEOs, government policymakers. And for our listeners, one of the things John said to me was it does not mean marketing budget has decreased. It just means that the conversation is becoming more critical across the whole sector. What is the pain point that the corporate sector is finding? So we, I think we've, we've got what children have been challenged with through the pandemic, but what, what has changed on the corporate side that this conversation is becoming more broad? Yeah, I think it's becoming more broad on a number of, I guess there's two parts, I guess, to the corporate side, and I'll speak to it um, in my head anyway. I'll speak to it maybe from a Silicon Valley perspective or tech provider perspective, and then maybe also an employer perspective. So I'll start in the reverse. We think about what employers um, have, how they've adjusted. Increasingly, employers are saying, look, um, we're not going to require a degree for, as a condition of employment anymore. Right? And we've seen the rise of short courses and boot camps and certificates. And I'll be the first one to say, look, I'm on team higher ed. We just covered like why that is in terms of my family background. I'm a big believer in our institutions. But increasingly, I think what um, 
what hiring managers are saying is, look, I just, I need this specific skill. And if I can get it, I'm willing to take it. I think that's an opportunity for higher ed to say like, all right, how do we incorporate these two things? And that's why going back to your original um, question, I think there's more dialogue on how do we incorporate hard skills that the marketplace is demanding to fill the jobs that they desperately need in this hot job market with what higher ed does, right? And that is, I think, creating the, what people often refer to as soft skills. Um, I think I'm trying to pivot us into talking them, uh, about them as success skills, right? And mm -hmm. I think that's what higher ed does really well, it teaches us how to learn, how to think critically, how to lead, how to, how to present all of those things that need to come with the marketplace hard skills that, that are being demanded and, and now being accepted through these, these short courses and, and certs and boot camps. So I think employment trends are, are one part that we've seen a, a, a radical change on, and that's led to the, to the alternate pathways, as they're called, um, forms of education. And then on the tech side, I, I would say like corporate America, I think, is getting... Um, uh, more engaged in how they can help, right? So you're seeing the likes of Google and Facebook and Amazon, Microsoft issuing certificates that say like, look, if you have these skills, if you have this vernacular, right? That, that um, from an industry leader, that, that should help you gain employment. Um, and so I think both of those things have, uh, have shifted uh, pretty dramatically and that therefore is putting um, additional pressure on, I think, the ecosystem, but I think in a, in a healthy way if we ch choose to look at it through that lens. So I'm hearing a lot of uh, kids saying, okay, great, so I don't have to go to college anymore, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so what's interesting about that is like, I, I don't know that I'm a subscriber to like uh, degrees or a thing of the past. What I am a subscriber to though, is that we should probably start thinking about how do we combine these two things mm -hmm. together, right? So if you look at most of those certificates that I just uh, alluded to, and, and I'm a lot more familiar with ours, but the stats will tell you that the people who enroll in those, 40 to 60% of them, depending on what we're talking about in terms of, uh, you know, a, um, an area of focus, those people already have degrees. Mm. And I think what, the, what that says is the marketplace is telling us, please put these together, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm, here, I'm here for pick a number of time, two and a half to five years trying to earn a, a degree if we're just talking about traditional undergrad. Why can't I get certified by these places and also get a, a degree that, again, has given me the success skills and foundation I will need for the rest of my career? Why can't I get both of those together? And yeah. I feel like that's a missed opportunity uh, so far. And I'm not blaming anybody because we just, you know, it's a relatively recent um I think epiphany maybe for the, for the space and therefore advent, but I think the opportunity is now for us to combine efforts and, and give the best of both worlds. So it's not a case of replacing, it's a case of maturing and complementing, right? So, and I think the foundation of all of this, would you say is the technology revolution, right? So technology has sped up. If we think back to 1995, when the internet was first introduced, I mean, I'm sure many of our listeners will remember when they first heard of the internet and they thought, well, let's see if this thing's gonna take off. You know, that was the 2D internet. Now we are on the brink of a 3D internet, which is the metaverse and, and technology and the pandemic has sped up the adoption, as your dad said, you don't change in a comfortable situation. You know, we were forced to change, which forced us to, you know, pull out these things at our fingertips. And you guys deal with um, uh, the Fortune 500 companies um, a lot. And, 
tell us a little bit like are you seeing more of them asking for your you know google type certifications in in qualifications and degrees what are you seeing with your clients on that side that's that's changed in the last few years yes i uh, i think we're seeing more uh, i guess maybe i'll tell a story to bring this to life a little bit okay so um, i'm a mentor of a of an athlete um that a division one athlete it just happens to be from my hometown and um He's been playing at a high level of hockey for uh, a number of years. <clears throat> Graduated from a, a, a really reputable school, um, grad transferred to another school where he's gotten his MBA. So he's got undergrad degree from a, uh, from a great place and now has his MBA uh, as well. He's not going to play his, his sport professionally, so we're getting him ready for corporate America, getting his resume ready, all those kinds of things. I sent it over to our, our team that handles, um, you know, new college grads, right? And the first thing that hiring manager said, who doesn't really know what I do day to day in terms of education, said, you know what, it'd be really good if, if, um, if he were certified in this or he took this, took this additional short course in, in this, right? And I think the point was the hiring manager was kind of saying, look, I think it's great that they've got this degree, but it would be really good to have these role-related knowledge skills as well um, so that they can hit the ground running faster. And I think the translation of that a little bit is like, as a hiring manager, I'm not exactly sure what this person has learned in this curriculum. I'm not really exactly sure what this grade necessarily means. Here's what I do know. I want the foundation of that degree. And I know that the industry has issued these, these short courses or certificates that's gonna give this candidate the vernacular to hit the learning curve you know, a little harder, right? And, and that's where I just go back to, let's, let's put these things together. Here's somebody who's been in, you know, higher ed now in different forms for five years. Why couldn't he have gotten gotten that exact skill mm. in those five years instead of not having to go spend some weekends to get all those certifications, which he's done. But in my head, I'm just like, man, we, we, we can easily solve this if we just start working together um, and start understanding like what both sides need yeah. and then deliver yeah. solutions. Yeah, I was chatting to a crypto team and they were saying, you know, one of the biggest challenges they're finding is people are coming out of university and they need blockchain programmers and developers and there's such a skill shortage. So for educational institutions, because this is not just educational institutions as responsibility, this is government policy, sector, corporate, but for the educational institutions, I'm sitting here and they, I, I'm, I'm wondering, like, does this mean, it doesn't mean throw everything out and start again. It just means how can we bring in things like new technologies, the metaverse? How do we supplement um, what kids are learning in more immersive ways with subjects that you can pull in and out and, and maybe sort of down prioritize some and then, you know, I suppose my question to you is, obviously, online training is one thing. Um, what sort of other things do you think schools can be looking at to bring in to not cost an arm and a leg to adjust their, you know, in colleges to adjust the way they are teaching children? Yeah, I think to, to your point, how do we to make the classroom experience better, right? And that can be curriculum infusion, like we were just talking about. It can also be, you know, modality tools to incorporate things that might be online that can be digested uh, in the classroom as part of a lesson. I think there are technologies that are that are working on uh, on that as well. And I would also say, like, how do we then leverage that to create a better in-class experience? So again, let's go. My my, my background here and and immersion is in higher ed. Um, 
I went to school in the upper Midwest. It was uh, very, very cold in the winter. If you would have told me like, look, um, instead of coming to class Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and dragging yourself a mile across campus in the frozen tundra of, of Michigan, you can just take this lecture from, you know, uh, professor Hollingsworth, <laughs> uh, from the yeah. comfort of, of your dorm or your apartment, I probably would have signed up for that. So that's, that's one way where we could say like, oh, let's take these lectures, put them online. So that, again, students like me, who wasn't the greatest note taker would have benefited from being able to record those go backwards and forwards. But then if you said, look, we're going to make it worth your time to come to class because you can digest that lecture on your own now and you're going to be responsible for that. But when you come to class, we're going to focus on labs, presentations, coaching, like your in-class experience is not going to be something you are not going to be able to get um, you know, online. I think those are things like, how do we how do we take advantage of the modality to increase learning mm. and, and give it people, give it to people at their own pace while also making the in-class experience that much more valuable. Right. And I think if we think about traditional campus programs, that should be something we're, we're thinking about. Um, and I, we had to do things the way we did them because the technology didn't exist, meaning the constraints of brick and mortar and how we disseminated information. We don't need to be yeah. constrained anymore. No. Right. We should be thinking bigger. Yeah, and I'm working with a company, I mentioned this to you, called Kabuni, which is bringing metaverse education into the schooling system for kids age 8 to 16. And I think one of the things we've realized in our research there is that one size does not fit all. Children are different. You know, adults are different. They've got different interests. So how do you put them all in one curriculum and expect them to really thrive? And I love what you're talking about here, which is you know, you can have a baseline education system, but then how do you allow each individual to grow and really flourish? And that is that modality, the supplementary routes through education. Um, and, you know, as I say right now, we're in 2D internet, which is a flat internet, but we're moving into the 3D internet, which allows embodiment and, and voice and surround sound and all that. So it's just such an exciting space. And the world has changed so much. Um, technology has brought in so much change, yet we have not seen that change keep pace within the educational sector and curriculums and learning. So what's happening is young people are now leaving school and getting into the workforce and A, they don't have the skills that companies are looking for and B, they're not set up to thrive because they're not actually being trained for the world that they're going into. Um, and, you know, we've spoken about the fact that this is a change that is not only needing to be driven from the educational institution side, but this is a collective responsibility for Industry, government, policymakers, schools, CEOs, you know, shareholders, boards, like this is really the intersection of such a critical need um, in the market now. So, you know, I've touched on a few of the key stakeholders, but who do you think is responsible for leading this change out of, you know, the broad group I've spoken about? Or is it not one leader? I don't know. Who do you, who do you think needs to be running with that ball? I think for too long, all of all parts of the operation have been operating in a vacuum, right? Like higher ed has said like, all right, we do this. Uh, and then we issue a, a piece of paper that says you've, you've graduated. And then hopefully you go off and, <laughs> and get a job based on that. And we, we put you in a better position than you would have been otherwise. And I think that was fine previously, mostly because I don't think the conversation could have been enabled. The connectivity could have been enabled. Like it, it can now. And so, as you say, like, well, are students as prepared as, um, or are they unprepared? 
look, I think we're still hiring great graduates that are doing a wonderful job and they're able to hit the learning curve faster. To me, as you were describing that, I just feel like it's a missed opportunity, right? Like we could, we could have this go even faster now. Um, mm-hmm. Our limitations uh, in a, you know, an old brick and mortar world don't exist anymore. The collaboration is easier to do now. The last two years have certainly taught us uh, as evidenced by this, this podcast, like we can do a lot of things virtually. We can develop relationships virtually and therefore can speed communication and speed training, speed education. So as I look at where we are now, it's more like, what can we do more for students now that the technology affords it? And that starts with who's like, who's responsible for formulating those relationships. I think it's university administrators and leaders, but it's also the tech community. It's also corporate America. What is, what do employers need in terms of skill sets? What can technology do to enable that? And how can higher ed be, you know, the host for some, if not the majority of that, like they always have been. But right now, I feel like now it's changing quickly, but, but right now we're still operating in too many vacuums across those, mm-hmm. those three entities. Um, but there's a need across all three. Obviously, higher ed wants to produce the best possible product with, again, giving student outcomes. Technology wants to be an enabler of that because, um, because we can. And employers want to get people that can start on day one and, and contribute faster. And certainly, employees want to feel like they can contribute faster. They don't want to have any longer ramp time. Everybody wants to feel like they're, they're instantly beneficial to the team that they've, they've just been added to. So I would, I would encourage, and we're starting to see this, Rosin, like a lot of you, there's a ton of university professors are getting very progressive in this and engaging, not just us, but our peers across the technology community. And how do we assist on this? And then beyond that, how, what, what can employers do uh, to help us Give the right what give the right kind of training basis the skills they're saying they need. So it is becoming a three way conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, look for somebody like me, it's never fast enough. But as I look at where we were 24 months ago versus where we are now, I mean, it's light years. We're we're yeah. really you know starting to see some progress. You're starting to see it in the marketplace in terms of more collaboration uh, and student services and products as a result of that. So. It is really the leadership, I think, across those three entities. And I think we've got to be intentional about forcing that conversation. Um, And that's In in the past, it almost feels like everyone's been waiting for each other to move. So the corporate sector is waiting for the education system to pop out, you know, a different caliber. And the education system's kind of not sure what the corporate sector wants. So what advice would you give to a CEO in a company? you know, some practical advice to say, this is the kind of stuff you need to be doing differently to drive this change, i.e. to get the caliber of people in the business that you want. Actually, Mr. or Mrs. CEO, you have to take this as one of your objectives. Like what, what should they be doing? How do they handle this? It's a big change, you know, interpersonally and in terms of the industry. Yeah, I think number one is, um, you know, enable your teams to be having this conversation with people who can help, right? A lot of these these corporations have um, certainly big budgets that are allocated to um, upskilling and reskilling uh, employees' basis of benefits package, right? So w- what more can you be getting out of that? How do you work with your HR team to do that? And I would encourage those HR teams via those CEOs to be participating in conversations again with like, all right, how do we make that better, both for current employees and who we want to recruit. Um, and I, I think to your point, like we've seen some things rise up out of 
Um, well, we think this is the best thing, meaning like uh, now we're starting to see corporate America launch their own certificates. We're seeing higher ed kind of doing the same thing. Why isn't there a more intentional conversation? And I know for our part, we're trying to invite that forum more and more often. We've got some things coming up in the back half of the year that are, are geared toward that, toward that in terms of um, bringing higher ed and employers and obviously us as a technology bridge together. But I would say like, we need to be a lot more intentional uh, about inviting that conversation. And I would encourage leaders to participate themselves, if not making sure that their staffs are heavily engaged in this. Um, I think it's, it'll be a huge missed opportunity for those that don't participate and a huge advantage for early adopters and pioneers that, that choose to lean in here. Mm. And John, what are companies like like Google's of the world and 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 you know your sort of peer set? What what are what are these companies doing in the space today that's different to enable this? Well, I, th- I think there are, you know, again a lot of our peers have the same capability that that we do, but I think there is an element right now that um, people realize technology is not a solve in and of itself, but can be a bridge, mm. right? to inviting this discussion and deploying solutions that could help on, on some of these challenges. I would tell you that the, the best part of this discussion or the one that we should try to lean into the most is, is mutual empathy across all three sides, right? I think it would be great um, for university presidents, as an example, to invite their technology partners and also maybe future employers into their environment to try to get an understanding of really what the situation is that they're up against. So I'll give myself as an example. I've been fortunate enough that several university presidents have allowed me to sit in on with their admissions team and actually listen to when they're talking to a prospective student. What does that look like? What, what, what is that student trying to get accomplished? Uh, why are they valuing you versus somebody else? Like So that we understand like, oh, okay, I now get understand what this experience is like for your team and what a student is really going through when they're at that kind of decision and research point. Mm -hmm. Now I can go back to our teams and say like, oh, what if we had this? What if the world looked like that? And give, give again, um, in this case, uh, president something to react to. We've been talking about curriculum infusion. I've been invited into a couple of faculty senate meetings, right, with faculty members just talking about like, all right, what if we, what if we included this, you know, this type of training, this type of insight, and hearing how faculty respond to that. Look, I've, you know, I've heard about how they responded, but actually hear it mm. is just a whole new level of empathy on our side, and again allows allows people like me and our team to go back to you know our our product teams and say like oh i get now i get this a little bit more what if we position things this way or again what if we developed a solution that would help presidents navigate some of these challenges based on what the what the faculty is saying yeah creating this kind of mutual empathy i think by putting each other in or putting ourselves in each other's shoes will help us get to to solves a lot faster um when we're just sitting in our silos, uh, kind of responding to conjecture, we can end up throwing a lot of stuff at the wall that won't hit the that won't yeah, hit the target. Yeah. Well, this comes to the concept of the village, right? We can achieve more together and without understanding each other's perspective. I mean, we've been speaking to a number of guests for the season, and empathy is coming up a lot. I mean, we just spoke to a wonderful lady called Shola Kay, and she focuses on the empathetic leader. And, um, you know, we were just really talking about the importance of stopping, doing fewer things better, 
slowing down to speed up and part of the slowing down to speed up is the taking the time on the soft skills as you say putting in those extra meetings to go sit on the other side's agenda to understand because when we all understand each other we can move faster together right it's i mean the, the basic concept of a team and yet we don't bring it through in the workforce so so much i'm sorry the basic concept of a sports team and we don't tend to bring it in and john how are you finding people are reacting to this push for this change so there's some people that you deal with that are driving it and there's others that are reacting to it how how are you find finding people reacting to this yeah so what's been interesting is like uh, obviously there were a lot of people uh, during the pandemic who uh almost everybody, right, wanted to have this this discussion uh, and whatnot. And and what's been interesting since, like, I guess to some degree, we're getting back to normal and in-person in the case of higher ed, um, the ones that are continuing to push the envelope here uh, yeah. versus some, like, oh, maybe this is going to, maybe that was just passing, um, is, is interesting to follow. So it's... Um, it's been fun for us to watch the, the people who are who have been uh, the biggest agitators during the pandemic are continuing to be. And I believe they're going to lead us uh, and break the ice for everybody in terms of um, creating an environment that will be better for students across the board. And so there are certainly pioneers and provocateurs in this space that, you know, even as uh, we're getting back to maybe more some of the traditional uh, forms of education in higher ed are still pushing the limits in terms of what's possible with technology and investments. And, and again, um, getting students the best possible outcome and not only the best possible outcome, but how do they stay connected to them, you know, after, after graduation, which, you know, maybe we'll talk about that in terms of the future of higher ed, because I've, I've got mm. thoughts that it's fun to watch, um, some of the provocateurs take advantage of the moment and continue to press uh, in yeah. that regard. I think you're, I think they will lead us to that next horizon. So are you, are you saying it's more the entrepreneurs or are you saying you're seeing a different type of leader emerging because um, there's different, something different, there's something different in the individual that's happening and it's a certain type of individual, right? Yeah. So Number one, the amount of dollars that have gone into ed education technology investments via private equity and venture capital has gone through the roof, right? So to, to, to your point, there are more entrepreneurs in the space trying to provide this better uh, student experience. Um, there's also uh, on the education leadership side, higher ed side, there I would call them pioneers and entrepreneurs from that same, that have that mindset, that have that philosophy that are pushing the edge. And a lot of them are coming together now, both the ed tech platforms uh, and sort of these um, provocateurs that are leaders in, in the higher ed space to try to solve that, uh, to try to, again, create a better environment. So it's the commonality between both is that entrepreneurial mindset. And you see it, how certain university presidents set up their universities, how they you know, plot the, the North Star of the organization, if you will, and how they rally folks to that not just their staff, but also their alumni in terms of sense mm -hmm. of purpose and whatnot. So to me, again, as a student of the, of the space, it's fascinating to watch. Um, and as a, just somebody who's a leader generally, you know, kind of take notes on how people are uh, attacking and leading mm. accordingly. Mm. And this goes back to what your dad was saying. It's, you know, people don't change in a comfortable situation. It's the same as recessions, you know, 
the, the yep. best entrepreneurs have come out of recessions because they've been the people that have sat there and gone, I'm not happy to just sit like this is not the life I want. We need to do something. And that's the, the energy. So in every bad situation, like a recession or pandemic outcomes, these fantastic opportunities. And this is definitely, we are at the cusp of a huge wave. What advice would you give? So if you were to say to our listeners, here's two or three things as leaders that you need to be doing differently. If a leader came to you and said, I really need some advice. I know this change is critical. What can I do as a leader? Yeah, no, happy to do it. And I'm bummed that this is our last conversation, Rosalind. <laughs> I know, we'll have to do an offline one. <laughs> it's too short. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think the number one thing that, you know, at this stage I've, I've probably learned is, um, team individuals on teams want to feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. And I think sometimes we run the risk of um, just getting so focused on a quarter or maybe even a given year that prevents us from thinking bigger in terms of the problems we face, the trends that might be uh, impacting our industries or our particular, our particular company. And so um, one of the things that I encourage people to do is like uh, develop kind of a North star plan that might be two, three, four years out. Um, you and I have talked about this before. I feel like um, people tend to under uh, or overestimate what they can get done in a year and maybe undervalue what is possible mm. in four to mm. five. And I think if you kind of cast out that North Star, um, it gives a sense for where we're going long term and why our organization matters. I also think it then allows you, once that's done, allows you to ladder people on your team's individual North stars against that destination so that their career is going to be enhanced by where the, where the team is, is going. So I think, you know, once that's done, then, okay, now here's where we're going. We all agree. This is where we're headed. Developing a structure underneath that. What are the pillars underneath that, that will make that possible? What do you need? What teams need to be created? Um, what infrastructure, how do we have milestones to know that we're making progress uh, against that? And how will we know that we've, you know, we've arrived. Um, the other part of that, I think that um, as a function of that kind of North Star setting process uh, affords is like for you to take stock of who you are as a leader. What am I good at? What am I not good at? How does that affect who I have to hire? How does that affect how do I how I structure our day to day operation uh, to make sure we en we enhance the things that maybe aren't aren't natural to me? Right. As an example, like I, um, I'm never going to claim to be the, the greatest um operational rigor person. So as a result, we've got an infrastructure around me that allows mm. experts to weigh in on that to make sure that we are operationally excellent. Um, and, and then finally, I would just say, and, and this is obvious, but I, I, I do think it matters. Find something that, that you got to, that you're passionate about every day. I waste zero seconds getting ginned up for the, for the job I've got, because I believe that there's such a big role that our company can play in terms of changing the face of education for the betterment of students. Um, and that natural juice is something that, um, that fuels a lot of what, uh, what, what we do. And I think leaders, um, and that's why we recruit accordingly people who have that kind of same, same fire in the belly. Cause I think if you have that and it can propel you to kind of, again, think bigger, um, imagine yeah. what's, what's possible a little bit differently. Um, I happen to be passionate about education. If it were something else, I'd probably be not as fired up, but I'm glad yeah. that I found myself in this role. Yeah, and I think if the pandemic's taught us anything, right, it's life's too short to be doing something you you don't enjoy. So make sure well, you're in your lane. 
the employment numbers will tell us that a lot of people are thinking similarly, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we just had a, a, as I mentioned, Shola on earlier, and, you know, we were discussing why people are moving out of jobs so easily now where they weren't pre-pandemic. And people were hanging on to the job. It was a salary check, you know, it was, this is, this job is my livelihood, but people are so much and more comfortable now going, actually, I don't like this. I don't like this environment. I don't enjoy this job. I'm going to move on. I think the pandemic, the adversity has made people realize they're stronger than they think. They can, um, you know, craft their own destiny and they've, they've got the power and the energy and the staying power to do it. So I love that point on passion. And I, you know, you're talking about the, the North Star, you know, what I'm getting out of that as well is it's not just the CEO's job and ownership to have that three five-year plan actually it's a whole companies now because if we're not thinking long term we're not going to move fast enough and that's not the boardroom's role anymore the boardroom can sit and define it but it's everyone has to be a part of that now right yeah and i would tell you Rosin, i think those exercises are best done with the team now you can't mm -hmm. do it wide right but if it's a leadership team getting everybody together and say like all right where have we been where are we now yeah. what do we want so that there's mutual kind of authorship and therefore buy-in into, yeah. all right, we all said this is where we're going, right? So yeah. now clarity uh, around that. And I think I'm a big believer in those exercises because I do think it helps get people grounded, both like put the past um, on uh, to the side and really focus on, all right, this is where we're going now because we all agree that this is what we want to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know our North Star, as you say, and we, we're all hitting there. So John, I want to get a little bit into you as a person. So are there any resources that that you love and that you go to to develop yourself as a change driver and leader? Any books or podcasts or, you know, what, what could you share with our listeners as good nuggets to really go and spend some time on your own personal growth in this area? Uh, yeah, I mean, there are, there are definitely a lot of things that keep up with Professor Galloway, who's certainly the uh, provocateur and agitator for um, for the overall education space, but does a lot of focus on, on higher ed. And he's got a number of channels and, and podcasts and publishing um, mediums that he engages in. I certainly follow a lot of the university presidents in our space, Michael Crow at ASU, Mitch Daniels at Purdue, Gregory Fowler at uh, Maryland Global. Paul LeBlanc, Southern New Hampshire, Scott Pulse for Western Governors, all of them are, are doing interesting things in our space and I, I tend to follow them and monitor their their activity. Uh, we occasionally participate in the Ed Up podcast, which is is hosted by Joe Salucio, who does a great job of bringing on um, provocateurs and um, disruptors to the education space, university presidents, and they do multiple episodes a week, so um, almost anybody in our space is on that. So I try to be a a student of that as well, um, but more than anything else, Rosen, I would I would say the 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 advice I give most people is like get out there right a little bit like it's your own reps. I, I think the the reading and listening is really really helpful, but I think getting out there and again trying to get empathy uh, and experience with with customers or people you know is is or people you admire is is most important. So one of the things I always tell our team is like let's network everywhere you can and and try yeah, to do that. Yeah. Um, if I had to give advice to my younger self, I would have said, like, get better at this. Uh, in Just terms get of out there. Yeah. My mother says, uh, 
never never decline an invitation even if it's to the opening of an envelope go <laughs> oh, that's right. go um, go and john while you're talking you know when i ask other guests what their resources are they usually give me like one or two and i'm wondering how many hours in the day you have because you have a pile of fantastic resources i couldn't even write them down fast enough so i look i look forward to diving into some of them so thanks for for sharing that um, and tell me just on Google side, as we wrap up, is there anything exciting you guys have got coming up that our, our listeners should look out for that um, you think would be interesting for them? Yeah, I mean, our team puts out um, a lot of interesting things via our social channels. So if you follow our team on LinkedIn, there's constantly our, our research is being alluded to um, and published there. We run a, a quarterly webinar for our customers that really just talks about the trends that we're seeing via the data that we have access to, whether that's survey information on students, third party commissioned research or, or what we're seeing coming off of our platforms in terms of behavior data. Uh, and then we've got a for our, our marketing folks, we've got a big conference coming up called Google Marketing Live at the end of May that will have an education track for the first time. Uh, and so that will be available virtually to, to some of our folks. So there's always stuff going on that we're trying to um, enable the conversation. Uh, right? We would love to be the, the beacon of discussion when people have challenges. We want we want folks to reach out to us and, and say, hey, what does Google know or what does Google think? Um, uh, we believe in that the ecosystem is doing a great job and we just want to enable that through the tools that we've got and the under our umbrella here. So uh, highly encourage. How can to, somebody find out about Google Market Live? Where would they find out the details? Is that a is that a free paid for? What's the I'm, I'm sure many of our listeners are thinking, oh, that's that's something to plug into. Um, yeah, that's a well-known, it's our biggest conference. Um, you can definitely seek invitations out for it. There's a website for it and certainly reach out to your, your Google counterparts if you have some to get more information on that front. But um, yeah, it's an annual, it's an annual event uh, hosted in the Bay Area and uh, it's usually our best attended. So, and we're going to have a virtual option this year. So fantastic. Uh, yep. Good. Well, to our listeners, you heard it here um there is so much to dive into here and i think we're only touching the tip of the iceberg in terms of um our own knowledge base and and how we're going to use that to sort of drive industry forward and and really make a change right that uh, that impacts our future generation and industry so john thank you so much for your time um it was wonderful having you on here today awesome really enjoyed it uh thank you to you and the team